Hello, this is James Rice, and this is the Shack's Loop podcast. Now, go chase the truth like your life depends on it, because it does. Okay, besides what Warren said, the letter also had a P.S., a rhyme. And now a pretty girl will die before Jack can have his kidney pie. I don't get it. The murderer cut out her kidneys. Just like the original Ripper. There have been a lot of these mutilation murders all over the world. There's a contagious psychosis. Oh, Jane. That's my theory, and I've checked it out with a few psychiatrists. There's a definite pattern to the killings. They seem to come in bunches. Hookers? Mostly. Some semi-pros. There was an Italian who specialized in flower girls. Just remembered five of them. Okay. I got a great headline for you. Cannibalism. Welcome to Cole Shack's Loop Podcast, 2022 Halloween-inspired episodes. I'm Robert, here with Bradley, my co-host, and two very special guests. Joining us once again, it's Buddy Candela. Did I say it right, Buddy? No. Candela. Darn it. Candela. Candela. It's close enough. <laughs> Rebind. Joining us once again is Buddy. I can't even say it now. I'm panicking. And they asked me, Buddy. The thing is, they asked me. <laughs> oh, I knew. I knew. I coached them on this. Can Candela. Yes. Okay. Thank God. Joining us once again for the fifth time is Buddy Candela, who also joined us last year for our Christmas special episodes. And taking a break from a workaholic retirement is author, actor, and former movie and TV reporter, the one, the only, Mark DeWidziak. Welcome, guys. Let's get started with my co-host first. Bradley, how have you been and what is spooky in your life? Man, I've been good. We just got back from uh, Disney and went to actually Mickey's not-so-spooky Halloween party. Uh, <laughs> so, but, I mean, we had a good time there. Great fireworks show. Got to, you know, see the Haunted Mansion. I'm sure Mark has a story about Disney World somehow. Because um, Mark probably met Walt Disney back back in the day or something. I don't know. Mark's all, Mark, Mark knows everybody. He has a story about everybody. I think Mark was a pallbearer for Disney, right? I was not. <laughs> I think I was 10 years old when Walt passed. I know you're only like 10 years older than me, so it's not that big a difference. Yeah. Uh, that's great, Bradley. All right, buddy, how you doing? What's going on with your life? Been doing very well. October is my favorite time of the year, as it oh, is. Yeah. I w- would assume some of you as well love October if you're listening to the show. Um, been just doing my thing on YouTube and in the podcast world in October. The way that I celebrate because I'm a crazy person, is I release a video every single day in October. So at the time of recording this, I'm 15 videos in, so about halfway through, got another 16 to go. So it's been a busy month. It's been a very busy month for me, but I enjoy doing it. So yeah, so, um, that's wild. What channel What channel are you doing? Is this YouTube? You have your own channel? So yeah. I, or is I have this my Buddy's YouTube. Horror House or what is this? Buddy's House of Horror, yeah. Yeah, so I got it on YouTube. There are videos, but there's also podcasts as well. Um, But all 31 episodes get uploaded to the YouTube channel. And for those of you that like to take the show on the go, um, the ones that are podcasts are available pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever. So, yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah. Just and just off the top of my head, some of the ones I've listened to recently, uh, ranking because I know you've ranked all the all the stuff. I know you ranked. Was it the Friday the Thirteenth that you did this year? This year was Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, we did Halloween the first year, mm-hmm. and then we Not did Nightmare on Elm Street the next year. Yes. So to complete the trifecta, the trilogy of terror, if you will, um, <laughs> uh, we had to uh, follow okay. it up with the, the third franchise um, slasher franchise. So. Yeah, which y'all gonna be y'all gonna be really surprised where Jason X comes in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, they're really good episodes. Uh, probably you, did you review the new Halloween, right? Uh, that was the episode that premiered yesterday. So we yeah. saw it on Thursday night, and then that episode came out yesterday, which was Friday. Um, it was not good. <laughs> oh man, I thought for yeah. sure I was gonna sur- survive the spoilers, but well, the one before that was abysmal, right? Um, after, after watching this third one, the second the second one seems pretty okay in my book. Oh man, that's <laughs> thought, that's that's disappointing. Hey, let, let's let's redirect over to Mark. Mark, how are you doing, buddy? What's going on in your life? How many books have you finished in the last hour? No, I'm just, I, you know, I'm actually. Um, you, you've caught me at a point where I'm in a quandary about what I'm going to do next. Uh, Uh-oh. The Poe book is done, you know, and and you know I know what I'm going to do next because I'm going to. Uh, work on coal shack i'm going to work on uh, updating oh, yeah. the book and you know that's for next year so uh i know what i'm doing next but you know the, the next new book is is mm. what i'm kind of uh you know but i'm toying around with an idea on dracula so this is kind of an interesting discussion tonight <laughs> well that's perfect I'm, I'm thinking of revisiting uh uh dracula i'm not i'm not sure the thing is you know that i've i've learned and i think i've said this to you guys before and i'll probably tell you again at some point but um you know, every time you you think you've got something planned, and you know what you say, well, I, this is the I think it is what the next book is. It inevitably is not the next book. You know, something steps in, the world steps in, the, the universe steps in, and pushes you in a, a completely different direction. So, even though right now this is what I'm kind of noodling around with, and I'm talking to a publisher about, and we all like it. I've just seen this happen too many times to, you know, every time I've, I've tried to predict and say what the next thing is going to be, it's not the next thing. So, um, but, you know, but, but it's, you know, October is a busy month. It's particularly busy for, for me on, on the theater front because um, it's our busiest month, Sarah and, and I have the theater company and our spooky shows are the shows that do the best. Uh, we, we in, in the early going, December was our busy month. We always got bookings for our Christmas Carol and our Christmas shows. And our December was, a, the calendar was a sea of black. That's now October for us. And so like last week we did our Edgar Allan Poe show. Uh, we did our Ghosts of the Civil War show. We're doing our Monsters or Universal show coming up. That's our, this is our busy season. You know. Pretty so, cool. So, so, more that than anything else. Yeah. This is a complete aside and we'll get back into it. Have you ever been given the, given the key to your town, Mark? Have you been honored yet in any way in your town with, with something like that? Do you want Do they trust you? Answer? I want a real answer. I don't know how I can't long get arrested I... in my own town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It, it is. You know, we live in a county. Uh, nobody <laughs> will understand the geography of this, but you guys won't. Oh, we live in, a, in Summit County, you know. So in Summit County is where I have lived since 1983, and it is where we get the least work. It is where I get the least book talks. It is where I get the least mm-hmm. attention. 
Um, I get much more. Now, Cuyahoga County is the bigger county to the north. It's right, where Cleveland right. is. Um, we get most of our theater bookings from Cuyahoga County. Many more. And out of state and around the, you know, and I, I don't know why that is. Um, but you asked the question. I would never have brought this up, you know, because it sounds like you're, you're you know, being petulant or something. So I would have never brought this up. But uh, I, I, there's an old saying that an expert is anybody who lives more than 50 miles away. I think that's, you know, kind of the, the thinking that, that comes into it, you know, so. I love that phrase. That's yeah. awesome. And it's true. I mean, you know, so we tend to get booked all around the state, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we work in Cincinnati and Columbus and, you know, and, and in other states like Connecticut, and, you know, New York and, you know, in our own county, it, it's, it, it's it, many, it's crickets here, huh. you know, so. Huh. So the answer is no. I like it. No, I'm, I'm, I was fooling around with the question, but I know, sometimes those, I know those are the were. best questions for you because you can still respond to them. You know, you know me, you're going to get a truthful answer. So, you know, yeah. that's the truthful answer. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I, the, I haven't been doing too many spooky things. Um, if you, unless you want to call watching um, the latest uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Uh, series that's that's a little spooky in in the sense of you know wishing it was better um but then also um what else i've been i don't know i've been watching a whole lot of things hey and what, you forgetting about the we uh think you know actually help thanks to mark and his connection well you watched halloween town uh no i, I did not forget about that you're just you're just jumping in <laughs> well, you, you over here is you know, struggling in the water. I thought I'd throw you uh, okay. a line there, buddy. Oh boy, buddy. And I see he's talking to you. He's not talking to me. Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. Okay. No. So yeah. So we, we recently interviewed, um, Allie, uh, Matheson and she was able to give us some, some scoop, not, not a whole lot about Cole Shack, but at least a few things about, uh, Richard when he wrote, uh, the first two screenplays and, uh, and that was great. And then we, and really we talked a lot about Halloween town. And at one point she called me Einstein, which I don't think that was exactly what she meant to call me. But I started talking about the allegory of cave and Plato, and I could have sworn they were doing some things about the theory of forms in Halloween town, but she, she denied that ever took place and just, just made me feel bad in general. Just kidding. But anyway, um, I know there's a new, I haven't seen it yet, but there's a new series. I think it's called let the right ones in. That's right. That's about vampires. So I haven't started seeing, I haven't watched, started watching that yet. Um, I have though, in a non-scary way, caught the first episode of Hillary Swank's new uh, TV show. I think it's called Alaska. Um, just, just Alaska. It is fantastic. It is, it is, you know, and Mark, you know this and buddy you probably do too, but you know, when they talk about how you pitch a movie, it's gotta be the combination of this and that in this new way to make people excited to be able to see it. Well, one of the combinations about this is definitely Aaron Brockovich and the way that Swank um, uh, interacts with people. She's a, a gruff, mean version of Aaron Brockovich, but I, I, I like that one. Have you already seen that Mark? No, no, no. I'm, I'm you know, like not having been a, a working day in day out TV critic for two years. Um, I've taken the luxury of not caring about a lot of stuff. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I, I now, you know, look at um, things like TV Guide or, you know, Emmy Magazine, and I giggle because I don't have to, uh, you know, the, the old reflex was, I got to keep up with that. Oh, Jesus, two, there's 10, 10 new series coming from Netflix next week. I've got to be up there, you know. 
there was this panic that set in every time you picked up any periodical and you felt like it was so easy to fall behind. And now I'm, you know, I, I, I just laugh. I just watch what I want to watch. And, you know, and, and, you know, the great thing about it is I now have the luxury to go back and watch old stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and re- where there was no time to sort of do that. You know, it's sort of like being a, a real person again, you get your life back uh, a little bit from that standpoint. And you say, you know, you know, I want to watch, um, you know, this, anthology show from from 1957 you know well i could do that now you know so i and if if, the, if something new is not catching the let the let the right one in is is that that interests me you know so that one i will make an effort for right you know right. especially since that has turned into quite the franchise you know you know for what started out as this kind of cult thing that nobody like when i first started teaching the vampire class um you know uh, in 2009 Nobody knew what let the right one in was, you know, you'd say to the class any, and maybe one or the person say, oh, yeah, and you were talking about the original, you know, foreign film, you weren't talking about anything else. And now, you know, we've got a, an American film, we've got a, a, a stage version, we, there's a novel and now there, now we've got a series, you know, that's, that's quite the franchise for something which started out as this thing, this, this, this in crowd secret that nobody knew about. Well, it was still a secret to me because I'm I'm clueless about all those things that you just mentioned. Because all I went through was just seeing it advertised, and I thought, oh, that looks pretty good. Uh, well, that's that's interesting though. I'll definitely have to check that check into that more. Uh, the only other thing I was going to say for myself is um, I started. We recently, a couple of weeks ago, had a good friend of ours that was in my fraternity uh, pass away suddenly in France, and he was there with his wife, and it was just you know so traumatic and. And um, one of his friends who is very close to him has been doing this uh, one song a day for a year. And then he writes about it on Facebook and tells a story about it. And it's actually something I wanted to do a long time ago, not necessarily through Facebook or whatever else, but I've sort of taken over on it. And now I've got two days in that I've been doing and I haven't had to lie yet about anything I've written. So that's been nice because they're supposed to be true stories. But uh, anyway, that's something I'm, I'm trying to jump into, too. But let's let's jump into uh, the, the show here that we're talking about. And it is Dracula. Um, I'm just going to call it this uh, 2020 version. It's a BBC production, if I'm not incorrect. It's streaming on Netflix. Uh, it's both produced and written by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis. Now, do either of those names mean anything to you guys? on previous works that are in the sci-fi genre uh M- mark i think he's disqualified he probably already knows yeah yeah well you, I, I, i'm gonna i'll take a pass on this okay because i know almost all of their work <laughs> well i would assume i would assume buddy do you know about it too i haven't i haven't seen uh doctor who or sherlock but i know there's many there's a lot of crossover and there's also a lot of references within the series itself right but no right. i have not i have not seen either of them yeah, so my, my point for all those is just that these guys have a pretty strong pedigree um, for for doing writing that people recognize and and enjoy and and uh, so again I, I knew nothing about it. All I did was to see the advertisement for this Dracula three part TV series, and I thought, well, that looks interesting. I'll give that a look. And I think maybe 15 minutes in, I contacted Mark, who probably doesn't remember this, but I was like, Mark, I want you to do a podcast with me just about this show. Come on, let's do it. 
and I got my, my normal mark. Um, I got to do something else, Robert. Uh, but I knew we were eventually going to get together and talk about this. So uh, I'm happy to do this in at least one session and uh, talk about these, these three series. I mean, these three episodes that we've got, but um, starring a uh, actor uh, and we said he's Danish, I believe. And uh, his first name is spelled C-L-A-E-S, but we're pronouncing it Claus. And then his last name is Bang. Um, he plays Count Dracula. Uh, Dolly Wells plays Sister Agatha Van Helsing. And she also plays uh, Dr. Zoe Van Helsing later. Uh, and then the other main cast member for now is John Heffernan, um, who plays Jonathan Harker. And there is a slew of other people listed in the cast and crew going on down 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 I've, I've got some information about them if we want to touch into to those people and some um some actresses that are in it that are quite well known um that have some decent roles surprisingly and uh, so anyway that's th- th- there we've got it and mark really my first question for you um since we're covering dr- covering dracula again and i love how you stumbled into um, a good question for me because you may be writing about Dracula uh, in the near future um, is why do we have another TV show of Dracula? Uh, granted, this happened two years ago, but um, it, we can go into why the culture needs it. But I'm also curious if you ever heard anything about behind the scenes of the BBC or uh, Stephen Moffat and these guys, that there was always a push to make this version of Dracula. Any of that information um, ever come into your mind, Mark? No, well, no, but I mean, it's not surprising because these guys had such a good run with Sherlock. Um, you know, th- that was really the thing that I th- established them. Sherlock was, uh, and, and, and it's, it's, you almost have got to start with Sherlock to even discuss this Dracula. And when, if you think about it, 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 it's, it's a logical starting point. What do you got? Well, you've got them reinterpreting Sherlock Holmes as something from the late 1800s, the fog bound streets of Victorian England written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was good friends with Bram Stoker, who wrote right. about an iconic character who was on the fog bound streets of, of England of London in the late 1800s. Um, the fact that they would go to Dracula was, was, was fairly a logical step for them. They in some way had already reinterpreted and modernized this world uh, with, with, with Sherlock. And the whole idea with Sherlock was to make it completely modernized and yet stay true to the, the, the roots of what the character was make it completely faithful to the themes of what Conan Doyle was talking about and completely unfaithful <laughs> in, 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 in story concepts and design. And that's the way these guys operate. They're very smart. You know, I, when Sherlock, the, the, the pilot from Sherlock uh, showed up, um, I was still teaching the uh, reviewing film and television class at Kent State that Buddy took. Uh, he didn't take this class. This was very early. Um, and whenever something new and interesting came in, I would bring it in and show it to the students because I thought like, well, oh, you know, this is good. Nobody, there's no track record on this or yet. There's no critical consensus on this yet. So I brought the pilot for Sherlock in and I told them, you know, I, got, I found uh, this is television that I'm going to show you this week. And I go, oh, oh, it's television. And it's brand new. And then I said something which I knew 
was going to be the worst thing you could possibly say to a group of students at Kent State University. I said, it's about to premiere on PBS. (laughs) You might, you know, it was all that came into their minds was masterpiece theater. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, how could you do this to us? How could you possibly, you know, you, 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 this was the Spanish Inquisition, you know, as far as they were concerned. And I said, this is the best thing about leaving those preconceptions at the door. Well, they loved it. It was amazing. They wanted to see, I had two more episodes. They wanted to see them both right, right away, you know? So these guys do very smart television. They do very bright, smart stuff, which reinterprets it. So Sherlock really sets up, you go to the BBC, the BBC is not run by like an American network. The BBC is, 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 it's a very kind of loose uh, you know, for, you would think that that something which is the BBC would be very stuffy and very British, and in very many ways it is. You know, I mean, there's the famous story. This is off off topic, but you know me, I'm going to get off topic on you guys. There's the famous pitch session that Monty Python had, where the the, oh, the yeah. six of them went in to, to meet with the the, the 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 head of programming at the BBC, and they all they really knew is that the six of them wanted to work together. They didn't have a title. They didn't have a concept. They didn't even know how long they wanted to make the shows. They didn't have a structure for the show. And the guy from the BBC was saying, well, you know, what's your, what's your title? What are you going to call it? Said, well, we don't know yet. You know, I said, well, 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 how long? Well, we don't know. They weren't giving him anything. <laughs> this guy was getting more and more frustrated. And finally, the meeting was, was just about to break up. The guy got up in a huff and looked at them all. And he said, well, all right, but I'm only going to give you 15 episodes that's the bbc (laughs) he trusted them he knew that they were smart enough that they were going to come up with something and after these guys did sherlock they went up and showed up they said we want to do dracula what are they going to say no they're going to say okay yeah let's take a swing at it and it had been a while since somebody actually had done a reinterpretation of dracula at that point you know the last dracula we really got major dracula we got was really the action film you know uh, of, of about uh, eight years ago. So this was really, you know, uh, the first attempt to reinterpret the novel in quite a while. Great. Uh, I love that. And, and so, yeah, I, I figured there had to be something with the pedigree of these guys and then them saying, hey, we really like to tackle this. And, uh, and, and you know, definitely we'll cover how much um, we think things have been reinterpreted. And you kind of have to, you get to that pretty quickly um, in the, in the show, because, um, you know, we, we very quickly find out that uh, Van Helsing's gender has been changed and, uh, and not to mention the occupation of, of Van Helsing. Now, I, but combined with another character from the book, there exactly. is Sister Agatha in, in the book, you know, correct, so, correct, you know, correct. Again, there, there's that faithful, unfaithful thing that, that they, that these guys do. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did you guys feel about having uh, just your initial reaction with sister Agatha? This is going out to anybody, buddy, um, Bradley. What, what did you think about sister Agatha? I thought she was great just in throughout the whole series when I've, cause I've seen it now. This is the third time rewatching it. Um, cause I saw it when it came out and then I did a review of it. So I rewatched it then, then I rewatched it again for this. Um, I think she does great. My initial reaction was, oh, that's a nice twist. Mm-hmm. And from there, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, okay, I'm just sort of along for the ride. 
Yeah, yeah. The first time I watched it, I definitely like you know you get that, and then you get the twist that I'm sure you'll cover later, like the like the the turn that I didn't see coming, and and it happens you know very early on in the series. Uh, I thought it was a good. I mean, it is. I think as long as you're faithful faithful to the work, I, I mean, and if you're passionate about it, I mean, I don't know, buddy. You know, speaking of Sherlock, I don't know, buddy, if you remember this when I was growing up. When we were growing up, there was a there was a show called Sherlock Holmes in like the twenty first twenty fifth century. It was like a cartoon, and I, I enjoyed it. But I mean, as long as you are, uh, I think as long as it's got a captivating story and you are, you know, faithful to at least the DNA of the story, that I mean, it would be it's compelling a lot of times. Well, seriously, yeah. from the first like frame of as soon as it opens and you see what Jonathan Harker looks like you kind of know you're not getting your typical adaptation of the novel. So. Right. Cause I'm still stuck in, I hate to say it, but I'm still stuck in Keanu Reeves world. <laughs> you know, I'm still stuck in the surfer guy trying to, you know, speak with a British accent and me suffering over them reading, you know, uh, right, uh, talking about their letters back and forth with Mina and, and, uh, but just as soon as sister Agatha came in and that wonderful accent she has. And, um, you know, it, it, again, if it's a movie thing, it kind of reminded me of, again, um, uh, uh, the one with Reeves and, and, uh, and, but she just, I guess that she embodied the character of Van Helsing. That to me was the, the most important part is that there, there is this wittiness, there is this unfiltered way that uh, the Van Helsings, let's put in, in, you know, in quotes, speak to people. Um, they don't suffer fools. And I, I just really enjoyed that, that look of it. And, and I think the really neat thing about this actress um, is that she did grow up um, going to a, a religious uh, Catholic school and had gone through you know all those things. So she really knew that sort of side of, um, being around nuns. Uh, I never had that, uh, experience. So, but I could see she could draw from that. Mark, what was your overall feeling about just the, the impact of her in the, in those beginning scenes? Well, not just the beginning scenes throughout the whole, she's in many right. ways, the, the, the principal character of the whole thing. It's called Dracula, but it just as easily could have been called sister Agatha. Right. Um, you know, she is in many ways, the strongest presence in the entire thing. And Dolly Wells is the best performance in this. If we were going to give an award to somebody, one person in this cast for what they did, who would we give the award to? You know, obviously, you know, Dolly Wells is the is the strongest performance in this. And, you know, that's 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 happened before, you know, in you know, and in the book, Van Helsing, if, if we were looking in a book and calling, you know, how much time you're you're actually in front of the reader, we call that screen time in a movie. You know, um, she's got incredible amount of screen time in this uh, in this. And so does Van Helsing in the book. You know, Dracula disappears from the book after the opening. And that is something that these guys didn't want to do. They said right away, we don't want to do another Dracula where Dracula just sort of becomes this presence and disappears from from the story, Um, which makes you wonder how many Draculas they actually watch, because that's really isn't how the film versions do it. It's how the book does it. But, you know, Van Helsing is, is, a, is a much stronger presence in a lot of ways and making her that strong a presence and combining her with, again, the sister Agatha, who, who saves uh, Harker in the book, um, 
that's, you know, I thought that was a very crafty thing to do and a very interesting thing to do. And then they happened to give that role to, you know, a terrific actress. Dolly Wells is just wonderful in this. Right. Right. And she's a, a writer also who did the, um, I think, Doll and Emma um, series. She helped uh, co-write that. And that, that was a pretty successful show. Yeah, I, I just just loved having her in there. Um, and, and, you know, and the um, actor who played uh, Jonathan Harker, uh, I thought was very convincing in, in his role of confusion, yet trying to be open and then at the same time being guarded. And uh, boy, did he ever have to be guarded because, you know, who was actually sitting in there along with Sister Agatha? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mina. Mm-hmm. Right, right. His his Mina. And he couldn't. And that was the strangest thing is he couldn't recognize her. So I've got a question. I think I had this one for you, buddy. Well, it doesn't necessarily matter, but or it might have been for Bradley. But when it was Bradley, when did we see that? Jonathan Harker was under the thrall of Dracula. Um, is there a, a certain point in when he's at the castle? You know, obviously it's going to have to be happening there, but you know, th- there seems like there's all these points where he, uh, just a reasonable person would just say, no, I get, I'm going to leave. You're, you're not going to tell me to stay here. What, what are you talking about? I'm gone. But was that just thrall or was that just manners? What do you think, Bradley? Yeah. From what I thought was the first scene where he sort of they walk past the paintings and he introduces it like he brings him into the room and then they have that scene where he like he like quickly smashes that mirror and then that's sort of when I think Harker has the inclination that hey something's not right but then he sort of still lingers like it it's not like a sense of urgency to leave it seems more like a, a morbid curiosity maybe in my opinion. Mm. Uh, uh, that that he just seems as he leaves, he's just sort of stewing on it. I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe y'all have a different interpretation of that, but that's sort of what I took from that. How about you guys? You know, one of the things that I that I thought about the way Harker is played in this, which I thought was very true to the book in a lot of ways, is that you know, you know, and Buddy knows this because I you know I, I dwelled on this in, in in the class. One of the things that makes the original book so interesting is, um, you know, Bram Stoker was was a Protestant. You know, he was he was Church of Ireland, which is the Irish uh, version of the Church of England, you know, and um, most of the story takes place on Protestant soil. It takes place in England. But the two power movers, the two power brokers are both arising from Catholic Europe. You know, so the two embodiments of evil and good, if you will, in the book arise from Europe. You, so you from the Netherlands, you have Van Helsing, who is a Catholic, and from <laughs> Transylvania, Dracula is a Catholic. There's no getting, it might be a lapsed Catholic, but he's a Catholic. So, you know, <laughs> so you've got these two Catholic figures, you know, who are the power brokers and the movers of the whole story. These are the two who are moving it back and forth. And the Brits are sort of just kind of there to be, you know, pushed around. <laughs> during this whole Mm -hmm. thing you know and there's a point where early in you know when sister agatha meets jonathan she she says something like oh you know you're you're british the most presumptuous people on their earth something like that i can't remember what the line is but she basically gives a bag of a hand completely such a good line and it's so and you think that's not in the book but it kind of is in the book because that is exactly what happens dracula comes on and pushes everybody around in one way and van helsing comes in 
organizes everybody and says, this is what we're going to do to get the son of a bitch. And you're going to follow everything I'm saying. And they're the only two people who have any real power right. <laughs> in, in the book. And that's very much because this becomes a bit of a chess match between the two major power characters in this. So I think that's very true to it, actually. Right. Absolutely. Buddy, I tell you what, talking about a chess match, what did you think about the scene with, and I'm mixing around my notes guys. So if you've seen these, I'm just mixing around, but what did you think about the scene with sister Agatha and Dracula at the gate? To me, that seemed like a chess match, you know, in, in, in a way, so to speak. And then other, you know, other parts of it were, what'd you think about that? Well, I guess starting from the beginning of that sort of segment there, I really love the transformation, if you will, or Dracula bursting out of the body of a wolf, which is something we haven't really seen too much of. Right. Um, It's very rare to kind of see a transformation like that. Um, As far as the scene itself goes, I kind of have like mixed feelings about it. The first time I saw it, I thought it was completely ridiculous, <laughs> um, but it, it, ha- it has grown on me um, in the past couple years after seeing it, because um, that was the first time, um, because you get the sense that this adaptation isn't going to be what you expect, but that was the oh, first yeah. time you're really hearing a lot of kind of like modern, I don't want to say like slang, but like modern ways of speaking where Dracula's like standing there completely naked and he's like, hello ladies and like stuff like that, like very like modern kind of sensibilities. Um, so at the time I, I was not a fan of it, but now, now I kind of like it, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so good. I'm glad I asked you that question. Bradley, what'd you think about that scene? Well, I think in the book that doesn't happen. I mean, they are at the, uh, he definitely shows up at the nunnery, but I don't think they have that confrontation. Right, Mark? No, he does not show up. Yeah, it's my. I I, I need to reread Dracula. Dracula is in England at this point, and Harker makes his way. Yeah, to 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 the nunnery. Harker, yeah, and Mina goes to him. That's where they're married in the in the in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Dracula goes straight to England. He never comes to the yeah. Um, but but I, I always and that's one thing that I always find interesting in these adaptations is. Uh, I think sometimes like in culture, it seems like Dracula is really boiled down. We don't get like the, you know, he can change into, you know, he can shape shift into other animals or it's usually just a bat if you get anything in pop culture. But even like the fact that he can like, travel with mist and stuff, we see that at one point. I don't know if we see that exactly, but he can, uh, you know, sort of just just the, just some of the, the personification that he does or the lack thereof, I guess, where he is able to transform that we don't see oftentimes and, and we see it very uh vividly here and and i mean it's really just played out on screen i i really i really i mean like like buddy said i, I think it's a it's a double-edged sword because i, I thought the it was written well but I, it, it as far as it not being in the original novel i was like oh you know i i don't know i, I, yeah. I, I, could, I could give it leave it or take it either way well, I think I, I think that is you know the 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 irony of all this is that the actress that plays Mina, I think her first name is Morphid, uh, she's a Welts actress. She is Galadriel in the Ring of Powers, of the Ring of Power, and she has been picked on by many many people and the creators of this, and they're all blaming Amazon for being woke because they're making Galadriel this new whatever. And they're changing scripts and and all this kind of stuff. And 
really what it, it is is the you know the avid fans of Lord of the Rings are just been thrown for a tizzy because they can't handle that anyone's changing what they think is all this canon. You look at the sites and they keep saying that's not canon. They can't do this, and you know. So anyway, I think in watching this, what benefited me is it had been ages since I read Dracula. And quite honestly, I don't know if I even understood much of what I read or, or it remembered it at period. And so when I'm watching this one, I, I could sense there were differences, um, but I sort of just was able to, in my own way, just completely not even think about the book um, so much, even though I did, you know, was kind of reading alongside a kid again. And, and, and like you said, buddy, it's, it's like there was more of a sort of a modern way of Dracula messing with people. I guess you could say he's almost this exhibitionist, you know, like ladies you know, doing this, this kind of stuff. And I, I still, the first time I saw it, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I knew at some point sister Agatha was going to mess up. And so there's going to be some, some way that in this chess match that, um, or it may be more like a fencing match where Dracula is giving ground, so to speak, but you know, Agatha keeps pursuing and pursuing, but the reality is he, he knows that, like he says, it only is going to take one of you to let me in. Um, so, but then I watched it the second time. Um, and then I was just frustrated at Agatha. It's like you, I know how you have to make really smart characters be dumb sometimes in order for the plot to move on. And I felt like she just completely overstepped her bounds. And I think that wasn't, that was on purpose to see her flaws as a character. Um, do you guys think that was a possibility that they intentionally let her, you know, uh, act like she was this uh, person who knew Dracula and, and could, you know, uh, defeat him, let's say, but that's the way the story had to move on, I guess. I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. Uh, you know, one thing that I think that it's sort of hard to add to the mythos of Dracula without ruffling feathers, I guess. One thing that I thought the series did really well and something that I think could be a, uh, I guess maybe a form of plot armor or whatever you want to call it, you know, all these fancy words, uh, <laughs> is is the fact that when he drinks somebody's blood, he is able to like get their memories and sort of absorb some of their essence and, and sort of relive part of their life and, and just know things that they know. And that is like, if you know what somebody's going to do or how somebody's going to react, you can pretty much counter any move or set, set a trap that they'll fall into. And I think that's sort of how I played out my mind is, Oh, obviously this is sort of uh, him knowing, you know, being this, you know, like we talked about the chess match and even the very literal, I guess, allegorical chess match that they have like that doesn't really happen. Uh, I, mean, I mean, even that is sort of plays that out because she picks the losing side to start out with. And he's like, are you sure you want to pick that side? And she's like, yeah, you know, and, and she thinks she's winning and then she still loses because she doesn't understand that just because it's a game of chess, it's his game. If that makes sense. Like it's his, it's his, it's his arena to do whatever he wants, wants with. So she's playing his game in the end. Good point. And it somewhat flips the power structure in the novel and what it does, because basically mm. when Van Helsing shows up in the novel, Dracula's on the run. It's the reverse because because he knows he you know is Dracula's the overconfident one in the book. He thinks he's got it. He knows knows how to do it. And these mere mortals will not be able to outmaneuver him. 
And Van Helsing is the one who comes in and outmaneuvers Dracula in the, in the chess match. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is sort of a, a, a reversal that's not true to the book, but it, it somewhat comes from the, there's that faithful, unfaithful thing again, that, that you see with these guys over and over again. And another thing that, but I did like, you know, the whole idea, because in the book, you, Dracula is trying to infiltrate, you know, he's trying to, you know, he's almost acting like some, somebody who's going to go in as an undercover agent in order to be a predator in the book. So when he, when Harker shows up in the castle in the book, Dracula's got books everywhere. And it's all about London. It's all about the English people. He is absorbing their culture. He's absorbing their language. And at some point, you know, uh, he wants Harker to stay up with him late into the night in the book. So just to talk to him. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to master his English. And at one point, Harker says to him, but, but you speak very well. And Dracula says, no, no. My accent would mark me as a foreigner. I want to get so good that I can pass among your people. He's trying to infiltrate. Now, in, in this version, one of the ways he says, remember, he selects the people who are going to be on the ship. Right. He selects them from their backgrounds and stuff so he can absorb. <laughs> he's, this is the way he's going to infiltrate. This is great. I mean, I thought, that's really good. That's really crafty. I really like that, that story. Plot. So, you know, if, why read all the books when you can go right to the source? and absorb all these lifestyles and learn all these things. What a great thing for a predator to do. So I actually did like that very much. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. And buddy, we'll definitely move into episode two on the, on the ship when you're, when you're covering that. And I guess just sort of wrapping up this, this episode, um, just for everybody, what was a scene that really worked for you guys that you you really, really liked um, if any, um, that there were in, in this episode one, man, and anybody uh, can jump into that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've already had mine sort of slated and it's the, the Jonathan Harker searching the castle, like just exploring the labyrinth. I think that the lighting was, it was really well shot. The lighting was perfect. Uh, and it could have really dragged on, but it really helped build more tension. Like I felt as he's searching his castle and, you know, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, you know, how faithful they're going to stick to the book or whatever. And then when he, you know, even the way it's shot, is sort of even confusing to you as you're watching it and you sort of get this, you know, you sort of feel discombobulated the whole situation. And then when he finds the crates and starts opening them, I think, you know, you think he's just going to find some stuff and then the bodies start rising up and coming from all directions. And, uh, and then he finds, you know, the Dracula's tomb. And, and I think that all that culmination, the way that happened and, and just even, finding the maps and stuff like that whole scene was really well done to me i think uh and that was definitely probably my favorite part of the entire maybe i don't know maybe my entire like that that just stretches maybe my entire favorite of this whole series i'm not i'm not really sure though i really enjoyed it though all right buddy or mark um i guess for me there's like three like kind of standout sequences in episode one um one of them i is probably the scene where it's Dracula and Harker on the rooftop and what they, what Dracula thinks is going to be Harker's like final moments. Um, Really enjoy that whole segment there. I love the twist when he's telling, he's retelling his experience in the castle. And then it's revealed that they weren't reading his sort of memoir about it. He had just written Dracula 
over and over and over. And this was them actually yeah. hearing the story from the first time. Um, and then when Dracula actually finally does get inside, um, although it is ridiculous, I think that scene is a lot of fun um, when he's just tearing apart all the nuns. So for completely different reasons than the other two scenes. But yeah. You know, and, and, I, and this is going to seem like an odd choice, but I actually like the scene right before I like the scene where he finds Harker and he's talking to him through the window. Yep. And he says to him, you know, and he's explaining to Harker, you know, that the dead cannot, the undead can't kill themselves. And, uh, but he, but he says, you know, that he'll kill Harker in exchange for an invitation. I thought that's mm. a really nice scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really well-played scene. Between, and again, at this point, it comes towards the end. They've been through an awful lot. <laughs> that point and it just it's it's just a really nice scene but uh, between them because i think it's it just it shows dracula's you know always thinking and his craftiness and i thought that was very true it's like oh <laughs> i like that scene a lot that's cool you know right when i was um re-watching this and then um the movie the original movie with christy swanson uh buffy the vampire slayer came on and and then also Salem's Lot was playing. Well, it's we're you know we're in October, so a lot of these things are going to be out there right now. But I I liked that scene too of him floating at the window, which reminded me of one of the favorite scenes in Salem's Lot mm-hmm. when they're floating at the window, and they do the same thing in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, his it's uh you know his his friend is sit there. Uh, I mean floating there. So um I, I just like that image and that's always been sort of a you know, fun scene for me so um any last reactions about uh, episode one guys the, the only move one, on? yeah the only one thing i would say is there was a weird part where they had that cgi fly like fly into the camera shot that was the only thing in the first episode that i was sort of like that that's strange like that's that's weird like so the demonic baby unfazed you no, no. You the, the, were concerned about the fly. <laughs> well, well, I just thought that... that On going no, record. The demonic baby was weird. I mean, I, I'll give you that. But but it was the it was the CGI on the fly that really got me. Like, it was a little too, I guess, I don't know. It looked, looked a little too polished and everything. But the, the, the baby was definitely weird, uh, you know, which I think... What, aren't, they, aren't they called, like, the three weird sisters in the book or something? Are they, they, they echo the, 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 the witches in Macbeth. I mean, the, the thing about yeah. the book is... That you have to realize is that you know Stoker was a man of the theater, and his theater was the Lyceum Theater in London, and oh, that was yeah. Shakespeare. Sir, Sir Henry Irving was the the manager, the lead actor of the the Lyceum. So Shakespeare references run through Dracula all the book constantly, and subsequently, whether even the people who are adapting these things know it or not, they are going to have have this thing. So the three wives uh in the castle in in dracula are are referencing the three witches at the be- opening of macbeth um and almost every character in dracula in the book including dracula quotes shakespeare at some point you know at some point even even the count quotes quotes dracula you know loose when lucy's dying she compares herself to Ophelia in in in, in, in Hamlet, you know. So <laughs> this goes on and on and over and over again until you always go enough with the Shakespeare references, you know. So, well, well, relative to possibly the other episodes, or just to however you want to do it, 
let's let's think about a rating, guys, of uh, one to ten. Ten being the highest score you can give it. Um, where would you rate uh, rank? I guess how are you going to say? I guess it's a rating um, of this particular one. I'll, I'll start off with, and and I will say that. It, my my opinion has changed since the first time I saw it to the you know the most recent time, but I'm going to give this uh, for me the first episode an eight point nine. Um, I liked it that much. How about you? How about you guys? I give it a solid eight. Solid eight. It's not my favorite out of the three, but it's pretty close. Yeah. See, I, I would I was with you, buddy. And you know the funny part is. I would say that this is probably the most faithful part of the three parts to the book. Maybe Con- I mean, considering that the, that the, I, and we'll get into part two, but considering that part two is a bit more, I guess it, it, it focuses more on the ship and sort of breathes that, you know, sort of, I don't know if any of it's really as faithful, faithful, but I feel like this is more faithful in my opinion. And Mark probably has a better opinion than my opinion on this, but. So, uh, so what, you know, what is your, what is your rating Bradley? I gave it an eight as well. Oh, so you're eight also. Okay. And and I would I I was you know and not just because everybody else is saying this I I was would have given it an eight but an eight not compared to the other two just an eight is as as the rating it would earn against all other you know Dracula stuff that had ever been done mm-hmm. you know how faithful it is 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 a very tough thing. these guys always make this tough because fidelity is hard to um to to measure. Because it depends on what scale you're using as to decide why this is fatal. If you're comparing it to the actual structure and plot of Bram Stoker's book, this is not faithful at all. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's not even close to what Stoker wrote. You know, you'd be shocked, <laughs> shocked to to read Stoker's book. It's like this is what these guys did. They've got bits and pieces of what Stoker writes about, but, you know, wholesale characters are not here. The structure of the story is way different. Everything, you know, it's, it's not at all faithful to what Stoker wrote. Now, you might think Dracula Purist would be up in arms about this and saying, you know, oh, look at what they've done to Stoker's book. But here's why they're not, and here's why you didn't hear a lot about this from the start nobody has done stoker's book you know there's there is an earlier bbc version which was done in the 1970s a three part a three-part bbc version with louis jordan as dracula it was done on a much scaled down budget we haven't even started to talk about how good this thing looks and the production value oh yeah behind it but you know the 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 earlier bbc version it was done on a a much more limited scale It, it you know almost looks like videotape a lot of times does. Um, it's not. And, and Louis Jordan is nobody's idea of a great Dracula either, by the way, it's, I have never heard anybody, anybody in the history of discussions of Dracula. They, they might say that's their favorite version, they, but they will not say Louis Jordan is their favorite Dracula. I've never heard that. So but from the start, from 1922, uh, you know, 100 years ago, Nosferatu, nobody they threw the you know, it was that was no more faithful than what Lugosi did or what Christopher Lee did or anybody else. We're accustomed to people basically throwing Stoker's story overboard and doing what they want with this. So, you know, and I give great latitude to this. I'm not a purist either. I do not go into Dracula's thing, comparing it, measuring it up to what the book is. You know, there is no one definitive faithful version to the book. 
you know, some people might make an argument for the earlier BBC version, but I don't because I don't see how you can do that since the Dracula is so badly miscast. So I, I don't think there's ever been um, a Dracula. I like some things about almost all the Dracula interpretations there are. And I think everybody gets a little bit of something and nobody's got it all. They tried with Gary Oldman. Oh boy, did they try. You know, that's re that one's reaching from everywhere to try to get, to, to try to get everything. And it, and it shows the strain. And I like Gary Oldman's interpretation very much. Um, but everybody, so, so as soon as Dracula shows up and it says, well, we're going to try something different. They've been doing it for a hundred years, guys. Go ahead, try something different. Let me see what you got. That's how I went into this version. Nice. I, I like that a lot. Well, uh, um, buddy, before we jump into yours, then uh, essentially, you know, that Dracula wreaks havoc all throughout the the um, church. Let's put, just call it that. Um, he is able to, as far as we can tell, um, get in, and he is threatening the life of Mina and Sister Agatha, and then we pretty much just go into the the next episode. And so Bradley with that, I mean, my buddy with that, I guess we'll, we'll jump over to you and talk about uh, episode two of Dracula. So episode two to me was the episode from the first time I watched it, the one that was the most kind of interesting to me because the first one, like in episode one, you're sort of set in your story beats. And although it's not a faithful adaptation of the novel or of the story, you're getting Jonathan Harker, you're getting Mina, you're getting Van Helsing introduced. It's following some of the same beats. And same with the controversial conclusion, part three. You have Lucy in there getting risen from the dead as a vampire. Um, you're hitting some of these same story beats. Episode two, however, in the book, it's one of the shortest sections of the book. I think it's only about like four pages. Um so to me, it was just very interesting and unique that they would expand this into an entire episode. And I felt it gave them a lot of freedom to kind of do what they wanted without receiving maybe some of the backlash that they would have gotten from the other episodes. It kind of feels like its own little like side story, um, which I really like about it. Um, and I guess, I guess for Mark, my first question right off the bat um, what did you think about them expanding the portion with the Demeter? Because as I said, it's very short in the book. Of course, the way he's um, disposing of the crew is vastly different. But just like overall, like what do you think about them expanding this to an hour and a half? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's typical of these guys, I think. You know, they, they, they looked at that and said, we're going to make this and th th this is a voyage and we're going to make this episode a voyage a whole you know take take the 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 viewers on this voyage with us even though in as you say in the book it's 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 a it's a very brief description it's a little horrific in the book because you know dracula is is takes over the ship and, and one by one it becomes a ghost ship you know by the time it reaches and 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 and, and beaches uh at whitby in the in the book so um and, you know, it ends very differently, too. I mean, once again, not faithful, because how does the voyage end? Well, let's not talk about that just yet. But, you know, in the in the book, it's just about how Dracula gets to England. How does he get to England and which is his goal? 
And how does he infiltrate? How does he, he start to infiltrate? Um, in this, you know, how does the voyage end? He doesn't get there, you know. He, he, it, it, it's not, it's so, it, how unfaithful can you possibly get to the story, to the original story? Um, so they obviously looked at this and said, we want this to be, this voyage to be symbolic of the battle between these two characters. We want, of, of, of these things, of, this is going to take us all the way from where we have set up this, this, this battle where the last one ended, and it's going to take us all the way to this this ending that's going to then set up, you know, where you never thought it was going to go. And so, you know, it is this, this, yes, it shows the least fidelity to the book, the least fidelity to what Bram Stoker intended. And yet interesting. And yet that doesn't mean I didn't like it. (laughs) Now, after having said all that, you know, you, you also could stop and think, but what a bold choice to take that, and make it emblematic of what's the very heart of your story. Because the second episode is the heart of the story. I mean, I, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's, it, it, it contains all of the basics. The first one is, 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 is set up, set up, set up. It's getting you to what this is going to be. And the second, and, and, and I don't want to give away the third here. So, you, you know, I, I don't want to sort of talk ahead of myself here. But I really do believe the second episode as being positioned as the second episode as being the, the the middle thing it's it is the heart of what they were trying to do yeah and uh if i could jump in real quick buddy one thing i thought too was it, it sort of let me you know when, when you come home and you're wearing your suit and th- this was sort of that episode where you got to loosen your tie a little bit unbutton that top button i didn't have expectations for this because i thought well this se- section's so short well, how can they flesh it out so I wasn't trying to nitpick this section, say, oh, what did they get wrong? What did they get right? It was sort of their own little thing made out of whole cloth that I sort of was like, man, I'm just along for the journey for this. And let me see what they, where they go with it. And I really didn't have any expectations and it didn't exceed expectations. And I really thought, in my opinion, this was the best of the three sections. And Bradley, you sort of mentioned this in like episode one about the sort of game of chess that they're playing on together but in this one we get a literal and figurative game of chess um and it's sort of told throughout a frame story you're trying to uncover the mystery um what did what did you sort of think about the whole like chess game they were playing yeah see and and that was one thing they they really because there there wasn't a i guess without that point of who is the mystery patient like that was sort of the ongoing thing where you're like you're like is you know it was before I, you know, maybe I'm a little slow to catch on to these things, but, but I, I was sort of like, could that be her? I was like, but she's here. I was like, did, did he bring, like, I was still trying to piece it all together because the, the start of the second episode just sort of took me at completely out of wherever I was and just sort of dropped me in the middle of the chess game in the middle of his castle. And I thought, man, okay, well, let's see what, what's going on here. And, and I really enjoyed it. I thought that I thought it was awesome, and I I loved the reveal and how, just how they did it. I thought it was awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, a, as we've all said, this one does contain a lot of the heart and soul of what it was about. And w- this is the episode where it reveals sort of the twist that Bradley you alluded to, um, as Dracula is drinking the blood of his victims. Blood is lives, right? He's gaining their memories he's gaining their skills 
Um, just what did you guys think of that whole sort of twist? I, I, I loved it. it. It felt a little uh, Richard Matheson-esque. I am, I am legend-esque to me. Um, just that there was this, it, although it wasn't scientific, there was this um, bit of explanation of how Dracula uh, absorbs people, as he told Johnny he was going to do. I will just sit by you and absorb you. Um, I mean, I, I like that um, he, you know, you could almost picture yourself in some way that Dracula is this, this still realistic figure who somehow has the ability to decode DNA and, and, and somehow read into the people's past lives that that's encoded into their blood. So for me, I, I thought it was all pretty cool. And I'm in danger of repeating myself here. I'm always in danger of repeating myself, but I, I think I've already said that I really did like that plot twist because of, you know, uh, in the book, Dracula is studying, studying, studying. And this, this is such a great way for him to, to so, so craftily be, become the, the guy who's going to infiltrate uh, when, once he gets to, to Whitby. And I mean, and again, the amazing, this has got a very cinematic quality, this one, you know, again, I, I, we're sort of talking plot, 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 but let's stop for a second and talk about how well shot these first two episodes were. Mm, mm-hmm. um, they really have a richness to them. Um, the sets are wonderful. The sets are fantastic. Um, you know, it, it, the, the casting is terrific all throughout. Um, this is a really well-made, you know, the first two episodes in particular, really well, well-made, just as, as far as, you know, this and putting my TV critics hat on, and you stop and say, okay, before we get into the, sort of the minutia of the uh, of the the plot and what works, what doesn't work, one of the things that really does work about this, and this is a hallmark of these of of their work all the way through their careers, is this is these are re- this is really well made television that we're looking at. There's a richness to it, and I think that adds to the you know the whole experience that you're seeing, and. Um, I think the second episode is the most cinematic of the three, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the strongest from a visual standpoint. Hell, I mean, they blow up the damn ship, you know? I mean, there's gunpowder at the end, you know? Uh, how, how cinematic can you possibly get that, you know? And that's sort of like, if you're a Dracula fan and you know every previous version that includes some version of the Demeter story of the ship getting to the ship always gets to Whitby. The ship, you know, in, in Nosferatu, it, 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 that creepy vision of the ship pulling into, into Bremen into port. Uh, and then in, in the Lugosi version, you know, the, 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 that creepy image of the captain lashed to the wheel, the, 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 the ship always gets to England. It, it, it beaches and it's a derelict ship, but it gets there, you know, you know if you're a dracula fan the ending of this episode is the what (laughs) moment in this you know it just pulls the you just you're assuming you're assuming i know the story dracula's gonna get to whitby he's gonna get on shore and then he's we're gonna go on with the story that's what happens this that's the moment where these guys pull the rug out from under you completely on this if you know if you're at all familiar with the book and every previous version of the story that's the moment where they, they basically take the top of your head off. Yeah. You know, Mark go, you know, you talk about cinematography and you sort of just flicked the light switch on for me. I was sitting here trying to think about it and, and 
all three episodes really are shot so different. The first episode, you get the expanse of uh, Dracula's castle. And and the way it's shot, you get a lot of wide frames. You get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of space in the shots. And, and yeah. it, it, the castle feels vast. I mean, it really does. And then, you know, you got the juxtaposition of that to the second episode where it's on the ship. A lot of tight cuts. You see, you know, two people in, in frame at a time, just real tight in on the people as they're doing whatever in the day-to-day life. And it feels like you're confi- confined to these, uh, to the, cha- you know, here within the ship. And it's such a different feel from episode to episode that if you didn't watch these, I guess, in sequitur, if you were to watch, say, this, one person watched this, one person watched this, and you compared notes, it, it, it would almost be like they're, sh- they're shot so different, they're lit so different from episode to episode that it's like a completely different series or show, like, especially when you get to the third eventually, uh, that they do such a good job at conveying, I guess, space and conveying the feeling that they want to get across through cinematography alone and stuff that it, uh, I don't know, it just feels so different. I really thought that was awesome. No, and it's a really good point because if you, in the first episode, if you look at the first episode, no matter how they shoot, if they shoot up, there's a lot of shots up in the, oh, in the yeah. first episode. Oh, yeah. They shoot down and they shoot, it all looks like it goes on forever. <laughs> it's just immense. It's just really incredible. And then, like you say, there's almost this this claustrophobia, uh, you know, which would be true. I mean, you're on a ship, in, you know, in, at that time, you know, it, this is a very small confined thing and that gives a creepiness too because there's a creepiness to endless space and there's a creepiness to the fact that if you know you just turn around the corner there's something's going to be waiting for you you know and you can't get away from it because you're in a confined space um there's there's a there's a fear factor to both of those but they're different and so i mean that's i i I agree with you completely yeah I, i think the other disorienting factor about it is Yes, Agatha and Dracula are playing chess, but then you've got all these other crewmen um, who you are watching talking. And these are some pretty long scenes. And you're thinking like, what does this really have to do with Dracula? Um, You know, and so I I loved how it was sort of, again, uh, talk about fencing. It was almost like a feint, you know, to, to draw you over onto this other side of these people while this other thing's going on. And then somehow then we're going to bring them all back in together. Um, so I, I really like that part about that. Yeah, it just yeah. has. A, I was no, just no, going to say it has like a totally different. Well, I mean, each episode has its own different like feel and vibe to it. In this one, it really is like kind of like slice of life in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get like the ship hands kind of just like talking, joking around, like oh, add some more paprika to that and stuff, which is a reference I would assume to Jonathan Harker's original meal in the in the book, the Paprika Handel. Yeah, um, right. Dude, dude loves talking about paprika. <laughs> yeah, but I I just in general I just love the tone. I love the vibe. I love just the the chemistry between the ship hands. Um, and as I said, this episode has besides that, there's a ton of references. I mean, Lord Ruthven for one. Um, there's all kinds of lore. I mean, hell, like. Klaus Bang is wearing the classic Dracula getup mm-hmm. for a large portion of this. Um, so I just really just love, I love the fan service of this episode. I love the general tone, the direction, the atmosphere, um, just everything about this episode all encompassing. Um, I think it's a really great one. Um, it does break my heart slightly though, seeing Bang in that outfit and it's not, a fully 
faithful adaptation of Dracula. It does break my heart a little bit. <laughs> That's always going to break, you know, because, and I think because we never got it. We've never had it. You know, we've never had, you know, the thing about the difference between Sherlock Holmes and changing when they reinterpreted Sherlock Holmes, we'd had traditional Sherlock Holmes. We'd had Basil Rathbone. We'd had uh, Jeremy Brett and we'd had British television doing definitive Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, there's always a hope, you know, that somebody is going to eventually do this story. (laughs) Just do it. Just do what Stoker wrote. Nobody's done it yet. Um, you know, so yeah, you're right. You know, there, there's always going to be that that disappointment that once again, you know, and I don't know, we may never get it because we just may be past it at this point. We've had a hundred years of people not doing a f- faithful versions that at this point, it, it's taken the sting out of people reinterpreting it. But to go yeah. back and do how the original book was done, I don't know if that is even possible now. And you've been on record saying that this would have been the perfect way to do it, a three-part series. Yes. You know, I, you know, I also said, you know, that if you could have taken Jack Palance out of the uh, the Dan Curtis version and airdropped him into the Louis Jordan version, you'd have gotten very, very close to, to yeah. the, the, how the book was done. Because you, then you would have had a Dracula of immense power and, and, and very, very believable as the vampire. The the last thing I wanted to say about the the setting slash cinematography and everything else when I watched this, I I felt like the the moisture in the cabins, <laughs> being at sea. I mean it it for whatever reason, and I had this image in my head of this the the wood that is in the rooms on the walls and how it probably is still holding some kind of water. Um, from all this time so whatever they did was very convincing to me that I just felt like I was just like right in there with them so it was very very effective uh, with the 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 shots and and again you know the costumes even though may not be happy exactly with what this Dracula did but the costumes everybody wore I think were just fantastic but you know and, and now I'm just rambling but the other the other part of that though is I thought I wasn't ready for Dracula to get down to business so fast. So he's talking to the countess or whoever that, that woman is. And man, he's maybe a couple little conversations with her. He's always kind of witty and playful um, with his, his language on what he's going to do to somebody, you know, this line, I will absorb you and other, other lines that he does, but man, he's goes straight in and she's gone. So I didn't mean to steal your thunder on that, buddy, but I just wanted to point that out. I love that. I mean, that's a great scene where he's like starting mid conversation. He's like, oh, my German isn't isn't that good. Give me a second. And he goes <laughs> and sucks the blood of someone to learn German better. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, so right good. Back. Yeah. And, and buddy, I actually think you made a great point, which is something that I was thinking as well. You talked about how the scene's very fleshed out and it really, the crew is humanized. Like you really get a real feel mm. of the camaraderie. You get a feel for the characters. And that all plays into the story as we find out, you know, what, what we mentioned earlier with the blood and, and you know, it's consuming, you know, part of their person with the blood. And when when he he eats the or, you know, sucks a lot of the deckhand and kills the deckhand, he gets a little bit of that stutter for just a moment. And it really makes the fleshed out scenes really worth it. And then at the end of the day, you know, go, no, don't really want to spoil the third episode, but 
with his blood, it comes back to bite him. Uh, well, pun intended there. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess a lot of the questions that I had written down, we've sort of answered through discussion. Um, the only other thing that I thought was like interesting about this episode that we haven't really touched on a little bit yet is, um, well, two things, I guess. One, Dracula is witnessed by this, by the girl who can't speak, which I thought was a very interesting sort of twist to this episode. Um, but really, the shining moment of this one, in my mind, is the circle scene, um, which I really thought yeah. was great. Um, what do you guys think about that segment? Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's it's so perfectly set up when you do something like that you're in the circle just stay in the daggone circle and you're and gonna be okay <laughs> yeah you're gonna be okay but then just like a uh, this is a, a completely bizarre reference i'll make out of left field here but just like the love boat everybody has their issues you know and they're they're going to be on this happy cruise but they're still going to have to have their issues it's going to screw up their voyage and, you know, and it just happens left and right. This guy thinks he can shoot him with a gun. So he steps out all the while. Sister Agatha keeps telling him, don't do it. Stay in. He has no power. Yeah. Oh. And there was a good genuine jump scare in that when Piotr steps out for the first time. That was a, that was a real good moment in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but man, what about that explosion, though? Buddy, what did you think about that explosion, man? I wasn't expecting it because as Mark said, you're kind of always expecting because at that point we had thought, and I mean, I guess we can talk about the ending and what we thought about the ending of this episode in a second, but up until that point, it's like, yeah, this isn't a faithful adaptation, but we're still on that track. And then when the ship does sink, it's just kind of, okay, where do we go from here? And then of course the ending happens and I was very angry initially <laughs> when I watched it for the first time. Um, but yeah, when that ship sank, I was just like, okay, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually, uh, when we call, I call this having a Robert moment when, whenever we discussed the UFO episode of Cold Shack, uh, we discussed it and he completely, we talked about it. I'm like, yeah, I really like that scene, you know, close to the end where they get the shot of the UFO. And he's like, what? He's like, Kolchak didn't see the UFO. I'm like, yeah, the UFO was in it. And he, he just missed it. So when me and Robert were talking about doing this episode, he said, yeah, have you seen all three parts of it? Right. And I said, no, I, I think I've only seen two parts. And I said, I'll, I'll go back and check. I had, I don't know what had happened. Uh, I don't know, but the last shot I saw was of the coffin in the water. I didn't see him get out of the coffin or any of that. And I thought that was the end of it. I like, I don't know. If sometimes my TV does this thing where it does an automatic shutdown after a certain time, and I may not have realized it, and then it just went to black, and I thought, oh, you know, that the series end, it's just a two part series or something. I had no idea until like we were talking about this that there's a third part, and then I watched the third part, and I was like, oh dear God, what what happened here? Which we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I, I had no idea there's three parts of this. I really thought it ended with them sinking. I thought, well, that's a you know lackluster ending, but I you know, okay. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I assigned you the third part then. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, 
just surprise, surprise to me for all of it. And I, you know, I, I didn't want sister Agatha to die. And, um, you know, I wasn't really sure where it was going to go from that. But the thing that actually um, confused me the most is didn't I hear them more than once talk about going to the new world? And in so doing, I knew they were heading to England, um, but they're, but they're constantly they were referred to the new world. Um, the, the bride of who are, I don't know the name, sorry, but on the ship, that bride had said, we're, you know, going to be going to the new world. Did you guys catch any of that? Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe, and say, I thought maybe I missed it and they were talking about new England, but then I was like, Oh, well, no, they went to England. I but don't no. think so. Yeah, what do you no, think, Mark? No, I, I, I just kept it as dialogue, and it, you know, it, it would have been old, you know, um, way of thinking as far as you know, saying des- ultimately the, the destination would be America. You know, um, that that's the new. You wouldn't be referring to England as the new world. You know, but unless you are using it metaphorically, which horror does, as you know, the destination as the, the new world being death being whatever lies beyond uh, oh, huh. uh you know i'm just throwing that out as far as you know it being in it is as being dialogue heard on ship that you know if you're going from the black sea to you know the, the coast of england to whitby um you'd hardly be, be using phraseology as the new world yeah i'm gonna have to look back at that again no i heard it too though robert you're not you're not right no i heard it but i just don't understand it it's in there but again as to why they were using it that's 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 something else yeah maybe that was the un. that's the uh the scenes that were on the cutting room floor (laughs) actually because when he first shows up in three you know i'm i'm disoriented but buddy back to you all right i mean that's all i really have for okay for, for episode two um, I guess out of 10, um, I'd probably give it a nine. I'd give it the slight edge over part one. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I was going to give it a 9.1. I think it was, uh, I don't know why the point one in there. I just felt like that's a good number for it. Because I really, I really enjoyed it more than the first part, I think. And I, I thought it was a little bit better than a nine, but maybe not quite as good as like a 9.5. Yep, nine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, I hate to have bland unanimity here, but I'd say nine. <laughs> well, I... I in in time, I think I will probably like the second episode more. But when I first watched all three, I was a huge fan of the first episode. And uh, so honestly, I would have probably given this, even though talking about it, it all the things that happened in it, um, I would probably give it an unfair 7.5. That's the way I felt about it the first time. And, and hearing you guys talk about it and, and again, watching it and really getting more of his, his language and, you know, about the thing about, uh, I must improve my German or whatever. Um, just the way he was like a cat playing with his mice. Uh, that was all really cool. Yeah. Um, I guess moving on to the, uh, much blonde, maybe, I don't know how we're going to, how everybody's going to feel about this episode, but bluffer the lady, bluffer lady, <laughs> the third part here, um, if if any material if any episode i guess departed from the source material as, as if it hadn't already this is definitely the part that did uh so we here we are 123 years later we find out later that they're doing experiments opening the box there's no barnacles on the box and they inadvertently wake dracula and there's a lot of uh you know it's modern day 
a lot of science, you know, sort of uh, the John, Jonathan Harker. You know, what did y'all think about like the way that they integrated the new characters? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but the Dr. Zoe uh, Hels- Van Helsing and, and the Jonathan Harker Foundation that still kept his presence alive. And uh, what did y'all think about the integration of the older characters into this modern age? I'll let you guys go because I, I definitely have an opinion on it. I thought it was bad. I thought it was clumsy. You know, I, I thought uh, there had been an elegance all along to the storytelling. I thought that there was a, um, you know, it wasn't so much what they were doing in the third episode. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the reasons the third episode uh, incited so much anger uh, was, I think, just confusion. Um, and you know, and it, but I don't think it was the fact that all of a sudden it is 123 years later and Dracula, all of a sudden we have done a like a star Wars hyperdrive, you know, moment where we've gone 123 years in the future and Dracula is reawakened. I don't think it was that so much. It was, it was that it was done artlessly. It was done, you know, it, this happened by the way, with these guys, which once again, let's go back to Sherlock for a second. Hmm. Sherlock had a great first three episodes and then they had an, a, did a, a second series and it felt like towards the end of the second, it was starting to get off. And then they tried again and it was like, this ain't Sherlock anymore. They've lost what it was. That's what the third episode felt like. It wasn't so much that it, it, it was, it was, they were, what they were trying to do was it didn't feel like it went with the other two. It felt like a completely now the as we already said the first two had completely different feels to it. It, it, but they felt like they were part of a whole. This one didn't feel like it was belonged with the other two episodes, and I so I and I didn't think it was uh, what they were trying to do. I think it was how artless it was they tried to do it. Um, So I'm not a fan of the. I was not a fan of the third one either. But even though I liked kind of the, 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 if you had just said to me, if you read the description of the third and said, this is what we're going to do with the third, it's yeah, not, not bad, not bad, all the way to the ending. Although, you know, a complete deviation from anything that's in Stoker's novel, particularly of a great violation of, the, uh, of Dracula's character in the book, but okay. You know, I'll go, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting from what you're trying to do because what you're trying to do that no previous version has done, and it becomes obvious in this. All right, I'm, I'm going to shut up for a second. All right, I, I've, I've said I will revisit this <laughs> because you didn't ask me this, what I'm about to say. So I've, I've basically said what I'm going to say. Is I, I, I thought all of a sudden these guys lost their handle on the storytelling. Buddy, what did you think? It definitely was very abrupt. Um, and at the end of episode two, we do see, and, and the final conclusion is Dracula on the beach which leads into episode three. So I knew going into episode three that it was in modern day. So I guess at that point, after I had gotten over my initial anger and confusion, I was just kind of along for the ride, man. I was like, all right, we're in modern day. Let's do it. What are you going to throw at me? Um, So I was just kind of along for it. Yeah, it was clumsy. Yeah, there were all these things that were quote unquote wrong with it. But I tried my best all three times that I've watched it just to kind of have fun with it and roll with it. Um, so I, I'm kind of in the minority of it, but I, in a way, I kind of like episode three, but it's in a completely different way than liking episodes one or two. 
I'm honestly, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I liked episode three. The only issue I had with it when I first watched it was the ending. And, and, and but otherwise leading up to it, you put a bunch of people in lab coats who are trying to figure out, you know, something that's um, magical, so to speak, or otherworldly. And there's, they think they're getting a handle on it. I love all that kind of stuff. And, and again, I think when uh, I read I Am Legend, you know, I mean, there's the so much so much investigation in you know, saying that vampires are essentially here because of germs and, you know, and that they um, only die uh, because of the way that you um, throw a stake. I mean, you put a stake into them. It's amount of the air that rushes into the body that actually kills them versus, you know, being again something mystical that's stabbing the heart and the wood is doing that. So I I. I'm a sucker for those types of stories. And uh, so uh, honestly, again, Dracula's playfulness and the kind of things he did wore on me a little bit. Um, here, here's my uh, Robert moment, Bradley. I didn't even hear the first time I watched it. They were calling her Lucy. <laughs> I wasn't paying enough attention to hear it was Lucy. I rewatched it. And I was like, holy crap, it's Lucy. It all makes sense to me now. So I liked it even more. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, no, I'm, I think there are people like uh, me, like us, buddy, who still, for whatever reason, still enjoyed episode three. I just like clunkiness. I just real one of the things that really makes the episode enjoyable to me is just Dracula's curiosity. Mm-hmm. And his his excitement for the modern world. Because, yeah, Dracula has been alive for 500 years, but it's always been a natural progression. It's never just been 120 years in the future. So I thought the scene was, like, very amusing when he's in the house and he's just mesmerized yes. by the TV. Yes. Um, and he's saying, like, oh, I've seen... I've seen people, wealthy people with houses that nothing compares to, like, this very you know, like middle-class-ish house. And right. I, I thought it was very amusing. Yeah, well, didn't she, didn't she call it a dump? It's a yeah. dump. <laughs> you know, I actually, I feel the exact opposite. I just felt it was very tropey. It reminded me of like Austin Powers. Like this is pretty much Austin pa- Dracula as Austin Powers. I love Powers. Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean though. Because, oh, it, like after, if, if the, now I agree with you, buddy. I did like that scene to begin with. I like some of the aspects, but then it just goes on and on. Like, oh, let me just, Dracula's using Tinder. Look at Dracula swapping. I can text. I'm even though I text in all caps, I, I'm texting. Well, but I, and I'll interrupt you, but I mean, that is consistent though, with what Dracula had already been doing in the other episodes. He's, he's all about gathering information. And, and so now in this new world, he's soaking up, um, you know, this, this new current world, so to speak, he's soaking up this information and we don't necessarily know how he's going to use it uh, in the future. So for me, it was still uh, it was still better than than I guess what you thought of it. What do you think, Mark? I'm with Bradley on this. I, I, th- I, I he said tropey, and that is really good because I've seen all this before. 
That's it. Come on, guys. Come on. Sleepy Hollow did this. Yes. <laughs> you know, they broke yeah. it out and he was like, oh, there's a Starbucks on every corner. It's the same damn thing. Then I, you know, with that, Dark Shadows. Oh, you mean, oh, a vampire who's been in a box for more than 100 years and has to drink with all of a sudden. We haven't seen this before. It, it was not only tropey, it was, you know, it was like, it reminded me of people say, you know, we've been really smart all along. We've been really witty all along. Yeah, you have. Yeah, I gave you the first two things really this. And now all of a sudden, you're not as smart as you, you think you are here. This isn't as funny as you think it is. This isn't as insightful or witty or original as you're, as you're trying to think it is. So, uh, you know, and, and all that, I, there's a lot in the third episode I liked. And if you watch, if the whole thing had been like the third, if all three parts had been like the third and it had been consistent, and that was their vision, I, I would have gone along with that and said, okay, you're doing sort of like Dracula, like the X-Files. Okay, fine. Go ahead, do it. You know, yeah. let me see that. But this is all of a sudden tacked on. And it's like, no, we were doing this, but we, this is how we're going to end it now. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. no, get back in here and rewrite this, you know, is the way I would have done it. And, and it said it to it. So no, I, I'm, I'm along with it. I didn't think it was at all. It, it wasn't at all surprising or, you know, it, it, it it kind of was amazing at how uh, trite it seemed to me. Yes. You know, I, uh, so I, I, I actually thought, you know, up, up to now, you guys have been throwing something that seems pretty original at me. And now you're throwing this, you know, it, it seemed like a, a soup of, of, of made out of, out of trite soup, you know? So I, mm, I was not, I love well, trite I'm, soup. I'm not a big fan of the, 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 <laughs> Uh, 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 of, of this but again it, it, it's in relation this has to be part of the whole you know and if you yeah. if you separate it out and say i'm just going to show you this what do you think you might say okay i've seen a lot of it before i've you know i'm not that you know i'm not that enthralled with it but okay if that's your vision of this this does not match the other i cannot see how anybody says this is the third act that all of a sudden goes with the other two you know? yeah no, and, and that's one thing, too, I felt like it sort of... Another thing I felt when Lucy's introduced and uh, uh, who's the other uh, the male character? Wow, what is his name? Dr. Seward. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, not, yet, yeah. not yet a doctor, junior doctor. Yeah, junior doctor. I felt like the story really got bogged down when it got introduced Lucy and, and him and sort of... It got bogged down a bit and it sort of rushed through the relationship and and then it sort of left me feeling sort of hollow at the end whenever they had the whole, I don't, I don't know. It goes from like really Dracula heavy and then to getting the bog down in that for like a stretch. And then I, I don't, I felt like the pacing didn't work as well. And they did this weird thing with the, with the camera shots where they would have the texts just like floating in the air. They did that on Sherlock. That's very Sherlockian. That's was that's it? One of their 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 their. their I things. hate that. Just like, to, just to their their it was, it was just their way of letting you be able to see what was being written. But well, right? then it would be it would be backwards. You'd, I mean, the it would stay the entire time, and you, I mean, you'd already read it, and then it would sort of hang, and you could see it backwards. And I'm like, I can't even read that. What, at one at one point when she's on Tinder or something, you do see a bunch of the heart emojis just like yes. floating through the sky. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. And, my, and maybe yes. that's me being, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a Debbie Downer or whatever you want on this. But I, I felt like this sort of got bogged down and it's, they started spinning their wheels here. Even even at the part where they dragged out on the ship, I felt like there was so much character work there and so much that, that character development that happened with Dracula. 
And then here, it just sort of felt like, oh, you know, he's just sort of wandering around. It could have been like a sitcom or something, a Dracula sitcom in the modern world. And, and maybe I'm being way too harsh on this. I don't think well, so. I don't think no, so. You know, no. I mean, it's, I, I, and you remember, I, I don't even think the performances are as strong in the third episode, mm. the third episode as they were in the first two. You know, just, well, I, I'm just not, um, you know... And then you know it builds to you know eventually we 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 got to talk about the ending you know yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah but, but even the nepotism of the police like from that first shot I mean it, it's ah, mm, I don't I don't know but yeah let's go let's go to that ending because I, I'll just get caught in the minutia of everything if we don't uh, but but yeah the ending we get this whole build up and and we have Lucy's body's burned but she's not dead and and we, and he's really you know dracula's enthralled with her even though i don't really know if i never did get the i never did get the reason why he was enthralled with her personally i i i think he i mean no i don't think they sold it and and again this is my problem with the third episode is i think the the ending was weak but i think there there are times there where there he's in the graveyard he's teaching her to listen um, to yeah. the the people and what they're shouting out, and he says, "I don't know, there's ten, twelve people there, and you know, don't 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 be nice to the little one because they'll follow you home." I mean, I enjoyed uh, yeah, the, I those parts of it too. Yeah, but um, oh, what's my point going to be? He he does have dialogue where he says things like, "You know, I've never really met anybody like you. You truly are." I think he he thinks he's finding a soulmate. Um, is is what I think they're trying to get to, but um, I always love to bring up uh, the the science fiction writer Brandon Sanderson, and when he teaches his lessons, he talks about promises and payoffs, and we get a payoff, but we never really got the promise of of like what's going on with Dracula and Lucy that really sets up these final scenes. You know, it, it just doesn't seem, it seemed weak, their connection together is the way I felt about it. So that, that's my comment about that. Yeah, and bu- but yeah, and building to the ending, I do think, like I did like the, the whole carcinogenic blood that he drank and, and the whole cancer, this doesn't sound terrible, but you, you get in it from a story perspective standpoint, the, the dichotomy of, uh, you know, imminent death for Zoe, Dr. Zoe Helsing, and then the, uh, I guess the shunning of death of Dracula that we get here at the end that I think had the potential to be something really great. Like, like the story beats were there. And even though they weren't executed the best, I still feel like the ending could have been salvageable, I guess. Uh, but Mark, where do you think the ending went wrong for you? I think you have to make a decision. You have to decide. I mean, the ending is, you have to accept a mercy killing suicide for the ending to work. You also have to accept that Dracula has to, uh, at some level, accept the argument that um, he acts certain ways because he has been believes that he's supposed to act certain ways. All right. Now there is a very real metaphoric, uh, I'll grant you, pretty surface level pop psychology uh, interpretation of what they're doing here, because, you know, essentially what they're saying is, you know, you don't have to act the way society tells you you have to act 
or, or you've been conditioned to act. You can be your own vampire, if you will, but your own person in this. You know, this is a sense of setting him free at the end. Uh, you know that you you know you 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 don't have to be scared of crosses. You just think you're supposed to be scared of crosses. Um, so, in an essence, it's a rejection of uh, vampire lore, of all vampire lore at the end. Um, so, you have to take a, but but you still have to make a character choice, and your character choice again goes back to the original book, and it goes back to the violation of the of the original character. Dracula in the book is predator. He is not human. He is an animal. He is a predator. He has human memories. He is incredibly cunning. He is incredibly sly. That's why he's a good chess player. He's a warrior. And he was a, a warrior in life. So he, but he does not have a conscience. He does not have a soul. And there is not a soul to be redeemed. Because of that, he is a thing to be hunted down and killed. This is how Dracula is portrayed in most of the movies until Dark Shadows gives the vampire a conscience, gives the vampire a chance of reclaiming the soul. And then we get humanized vampires. Now, this this, this thing is never really makes a choice on this character. And I think this is why the ending is very unsatisfying. You know, what is this Dracula supposed to be? It, it's, it's at the end kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of Draculas we've seen before, especially the post-Dark Shadows Draculas. And, but in order for the ending to work, we have to accept that he has a conscience, a soul, and that he has been somewhat humanized. And yet, I'm not sure that that's the way they played him all along. No. Um, you know, so... I think the ending is a little unsatisfying because their interpretation has never been clear. And they wanted to make this kind of pop psychology metaphoric ending with this. And uh, I I agree with Bradley that this could have been a very nice moment. You know, this kind of, uh, if they had done all the proper character points up to that point, leading to that point, and then it would have seemed logical, not only logical, but inevitable that that should be the ending. If it had seemed that way to us, then all the character work would have worked up to that point. If we're saying it doesn't seem right, guess what? They failed. Yeah. And Mark, just before anybody hops in, one thing I completely agree with you on, and I think they had the, they had the stepping stones to get to this, to, to make that the ending work that they had, or, or a version of that, is the humanization, like, whenever he gets the human memories and you see that slight stutter he has that he got from that, that we mentioned in episode two, they just sort of dropped that. Like we didn't really see any more of that, you know, humanization from the blood. And I think it could have been a cool route to the more bloody drinks, like get to maybe flesh out more victims, take time to do that. And then you can see the more humanity, I guess, consuming Dracula. And that makes the ending work a lot more in my opinion. But it also, it could have, that's a really, you know, neat idea, but it also would mean that Dracula would have been humanized throughout the centuries by all the victims he's had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and Dracula's a survivor. I mean, he's the ultimate survivor in the book. I mean, he he fights to survive and because he is a predator. And, you know, at the end here, he willingly says, okay. Um, 
that is a that's a huge that is not dracula as a character there's never been a dracula we have seen before you know and it is doing something very very different and i'm not opposed again i'm not opposed to doing something very very different you know i've I've like almost something about every dracula that's ever been done including this one but i'm not sure they they made they sold that ending i'm not sure they made they i did i don't think they stuck the ending if you'll use the cliche sports term Silence, buddy. What about you? Buddy, what do you think? The, I mean, the ending's not good. <laughs> it's right, not good. Go. Um, the only thing that I do like about the ending is because you do get some sort of payoff with because the entire series they're playing with this idea right up from that gate scene we were talking about. Why do you need to be invited in? Why is Dracula having these ideas? And we do get that through the ending. Why did sunlight kill him? I mean, that was not in that was not in the Stoker novel. Sunlight is not fatal to Dracula. It weakens him, of course, but that came from Nosferatu. Um, so I thought it was an interesting idea that all of the vampire lore that we humans have come up with, the vampire is now believing this in himself. That was the only thing I felt was smart about the ending. Um, I agree with all the points everyone else has made about the ending being very clunky and the Lucy thing and the whole romance thing in the self because vampires can't kill themselves. So he's doing sort of assisted suicide scenario. Um, To me, it just, it didn't work. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If, if maybe we had seen something with, more of dracula just being enthralled by lucy then maybe that then would have given him or given us a window into his humanity or whatever but again like you said mark i mean he's consumed all these people through all these years hundreds and hundreds of years and he's never learned anything it's never changed his true nature and and then for all of a sudden it's like (laughs) You know, the, the, the new Van Helsing, I mean, I, I you know, uh, the new Van Helsing influence, he's going to drink her blood and kill himself. And, and yeah, I just, uh, um, yeah, it seemed, it seemed like it, it did. It borrowed from, it borrowed from some of uh, the, the other ones that say that daylight can kill him. And it borrowed from, again, I think from I Am Legend, because they talked about uh, hysterical, um, what was it? His, the, the terminology, um, hysterical blindness, I think is what it was. So when they looked in mir- their mirrors, they just couldn't see themselves because they would convince themselves that it wasn't there. But then how does that explain everybody else who can't see them <laughs> in mirrors or the way that we would see, um, you know, they played with it with Lucy's character. She thought she was pretty until finally she really sees herself and sees what she's like. And, yeah, it's it's it was unfortunate. Um, would I still recommend this whole entire series to somebody? I still would. Um, if you if you're interested in in Dracula being playful, um, how he um, gathers knowledge, um, you know, and I still kind of liked him interacting with uh, the modern world. Um, it was it was a little as as we all said clunky. But uh, but anyway, yeah, there's me. 
Yeah, what about ratings? Uh, round, round robin, what do y'all think? Buddy, What starting with you, what's your rating for this episode? Although I still enjoy parts of it, I acknowledge that overall it's not very strong. Um, I'd probably give it around a six in comparison. Yeah, I'm around about a five. What about you, Mark? Four. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I, I would probably go like a five and a half in all honesty. Um, well, that's good. We definitely trounced on that one. And, you know, the other part of this is uh, you said, would you recommend this to, to, to people? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm probably sounding a lot more, you know, like I'm jumping up and down on this than, than you know, I really feel in, in a lot of ways. Because we're really talking about, you know, very mu- minute plot points and, and, and character points and things like that. But, you know, um, you know, and, and, and Buddy knows this, you know, it was like when we talked about Gary Oldman's uh, version, there are parts about Gary Oldman's things that I, I they're just all, they're laughable, laughably, laughably bad. And we could just focus on those and talk about where that went wrong. But a lot goes right in that in that in that in that in that movie, too. There's a lot of really good moments in that movie. And you could do that with just about any Drac. I love all of the Draculas that have been done. And I could, what I'm, what I'm saying, what I don't like about this, I could do with any of them, including Lugosi, you know, including the Lugosi version. You want to hear what I don't like about that version? We'll be here for about an hour if I, if I start that. On that. <laughs> so, you know, again, I, 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 there, there's, I, yeah, I would recommend it too, because I, I, I think when I talk about Dracula and, and Dracula versions, I'm talking about a very big canvas. You know, I'm talking about a very, very, very big canvas and everybody gets something. Everybody gets something right. You know, I mean, maybe Christopher Lee does not have the authentic Transylvanian presence of a Lugosi. Maybe he does not have the courtliness of John Carradine. Maybe he doesn't have that creepiness of, of Max Schreck and Nosferatu. But he has got raw power and unbridled sexuality going for him like nobody else ever did. And this version has a lot going for it, too. You know, so like I said, I, I, there's something that I admire about all the Draculas that are out there. And that, that includes this one. Yeah, there was also a really cool buddy. I thought you were going to mention earlier, but you said something else. Was the shining wallpaper in the third episode? Did you say that? You, did you get? A- yeah, it's it's switched to a blue color, but it's the same yeah. pattern. Um, I, in, in I think it's his bedroom or something. Yeah, I uh, thought that sewer. was pretty cool. Um, but overall, I guess wrapping. I, I don't know if you want to wrap up here, Robert, but I know we wanted to talk. About yeah, I think I think we're getting close to it. Yeah, just talking about some. You know, you mentioned some yourself, Mark. Some of the other, uh, I guess, Dracula adaptations or anything of that sort especially around the around the uh halloween season that we we could think of any uh we, we miss, mentioned nosferatu uh you know the lugosi dracula any other draculas that we think uh i mean don't even necessarily have to be like our favorite or anything just something we enjoy watching around this time or mark i'm sure you could go on for days about that but anything that you would recommend to everybody else who might enjoy this who have seen this and may want to explore maybe they aren't as uh, uh well versed as you are well, I, I think, you know, everybody ought to experience Christopher Lee. I think everybody ought to experience Horror of Dracula, the first uh, Dracula film. It's a turning point in so many ways. It's a turning point in a lot of horror. Uh, it's it, because, you know, we get all of a sudden Technicolor blood. 
we get fangs, we get, you know, uh, again, we get that, that, that animal sensuality of the performance. There's, there's, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a wonderful performance and it's a wonderful presence, you know, so I'll, I'll always say that, um, you know, the Jack Palance version, although it was badly compromised by CBS by making them cut an hour, Palance is, is really good in that, that, that version. He's, he could have starred in the definitive Dracula. He gets an awful lot in, um, you know, the Gary Oldman version, again, it, it tries to be too many things at once. It tries to do everything. It, it's just, it's just trying way too hard, but you know, again, what's good in that is, is, is very good. So, you know, th those, those, you know, you could put all of the Draculas together that ever been made and you'd still don't have the book. You know, and that's, that's just the truth. Nobody's done it yet. Yeah. And it's an amazing book, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Buddy, what about you? Any, any, uh, versions of Dracula that you really enjoy or, uh, or any takes, I guess, on vampires in general that you would recommend? Um, well, I do, I do love the Lugosi version, obviously. Um, particularly the beginning portion. Um, the, once we're out of Transylvania, it's not the best, but that beginning portion is the most classic Dracula thing imaginable. Um, I really love, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula with Gary Oldman, as we've talked about, um, just the size and the scale. And if you want to talk about like cinematography and like the, the art and it, I mean, any frame from that film you could hang on a wall and it'd be the most beautiful oh, yeah. thing you could ever see um i really love that version of it again it has its own problems um as far as a christopher lee one if you want something different um dracula has risen from the grave that is, is a good is a good one and spe specifically with its unique twist because as we've said van helsing is a catholic the thing that's really interesting about that film Dracula has risen from the grave. The main character, Paul, has to fight Dracula as an atheist. So it makes it very difficult for him to vanquish Dracula because he doesn't believe in the cross. He doesn't believe all these things that he's supposed to do in order to defeat Dracula. Um, so it's just a really interesting kind of story that I like. So those would be my recommendations um, if you haven't seen those versions of Dracula yet. I'm going to go off book here a little bit. First of all, let's talk about cereal. Count Chocula. I mean, there could there be a better tribute to Dracula than a chocolatey marshmallow uh, that bleeds out from the chocolate kernels into making your milk a little bit darker? I mean, come on. That, that's got to be good stuff. And then continuing with that, that train of thought, um, Richard uh, Benjamin's love at first bite the comedic version of a dracula story it is fantastic i really love that i've never heard my parents laughing more at anything in my life than when they saw that for the first time so i got a good memory of that one i don't know if you guys ever saw that i know mark you're you're looking like you've definitely seen it uh, well it, this is one of the things that makes me, you know, me feel like a Dracula character is because I reviewed Love at First Bite when it's sure did. <laughs> yeah, it's, it came out, you know, when I was my first year working as a movie critic uh, in 1979, mm -hmm. uh, which was a big Dracula year, by the way, because that's the same year as Franklin Jealous Dracula. 
There was the uh, Cliffhangers series on NBC with Michael Norrie as Dracula. And there was the remake of Nosferatu. And it was also the year of Salem's Lot. So 79 was a big vampiric year. Uh, wow. You know, we had a lot of vampires. We, you know, at, at a time when there weren't that many networks, when there's no streaming, there's no cable, you know, we, all of a sudden we had an awful lot of vampire stuff in 1979. Cool. And I, and I like Love at First Bite. I also like uh, Dracula Dead and Loving. And I actually, you know. Was I that was, the sequel or was that just a no, different no, it one? Was, uh, it was Mel Brooks' last movie. That's right. Made in the 90s yes. after yes. the Oldman film came out. And um, But it's only funny to people like us. Right. Who know Probably. everything. <laughs> it's, it's exactly right. I, you know, I would always show it in my vampire class after they had seen all the versions of Dracula right up to Oldman. I would show them the Mel Brooks film and they got everything. It's like that movie improved 50% in my class because they got every joke and they realized how smart it was mm. because it just seems like a dumb movie. But when you get to the scene where Lucy is a vampire and she's going to attack Harker and it's all shot like a hammer film, all of a sudden the, you know, her, her skin seems to be glowing. It's luminescence and the staking scene, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's specifically a parody of Hammer horror films. And if you just don't know that, it goes right by you and you don't understand how smart that movie is. So, yeah, I, I like both the parodies. I like Love at First Bite and Dracula Dead Love. Yeah. You know, Mark, and you talking about luminous skin actually leads to my first uh, recommendation here. Uh, no, I was going to say Twilight as a joke, but uh, I thought you're uh, gonna, I thought you're gonna go with Vampirus Lesbos. Dang it, you took my no. <laughs> that was gonna be the end. It's the oh, it, you blew it, the joke. nothing. Blew nothing the makes joke. me laugh more than that in my life, Bradley. Please, just, just, just say it, man. Just say it. Well, I don't think Mark even remembers. Well, you know, I thought which this is one that was sort of like one of those monster movies that I don't think gets enough credit. It was like in the eighties was a monster squad. I really like monster squad, even though it don't have, it's got a, I mean, Dracula's not a prominent role. He's just one. Of, I think he's the main villain, but he don't, he's not like the main, main, you know, guy or whatever. Yeah, Duncan Rieger, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Mark yeah. sharp as a tack up here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we, we mentioned, <laughs> We mentioned Nosferatu, and then another one. The uh, who was it? Uh, Andy Warhol's apprentice. He did uh, Blood oh, for uh, Dracula. Uh, Udo Kier. Yes, with Udo Kier in it. I, I really liked that one when I saw it. And it's, I mean, it's. I'm sure there's better versions, and I'm sure, but it. it I felt it was very interesting, and uh, and then of course Vampires Lesbos. If you haven't seen that one, Mark, Mark have you ever seen? Vampires Lesbos. I have actually, and uh, and by the way, I, what? I, and, and I, you know, this is a recent occurrence. Then this it has is, to be. This is a um, there. There is like this sub genre of of vampire of, 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 of and we can vampire do a whole porn? evening of this <laughs> vampire you know? porn. Well, and 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 it starts really in the late '60s and goes all the way on. There is a tremendous um, amount of this, and then soft porn, which was done in the '70s. Even John Carradine, who played Dracula, but he ends up in a couple of these towards the end of his wow. career. You know, um, because you know at the end he was doing anything for a buck. He do do any any role. You know, so he ends up in a couple of these really, you know. Uh, 
sleazy movies, you know. Um, but yeah, there's always been a a a uh, uh, an, a, an, a, an underground to the underground, if you will. <laughs> this, you know? now, now they have some banging soundtrack. No pun intended. Some banging soundtracks on the like. This- Is that the one you played for me yes, the other time? Every time, every time I play, this is this is a great soundtrack. It's horrendous. What? Absolutely what? horrendous. It doesn't get any better. What are you? Well, me, I just I just want to make a point about Hammer Horror and the Facebook sites. I mean, come on, man. Why? Why else are people so enthralled? by a hammer vampire film other than the women with the giant cleavage and the occasional nudity all right even at my age of my a creepy old man now 56 i mean it's i'm just like okay yeah okay i i I hate to go to to fall back on this all right please do please do you had to have been there all right. Oh, no, you didn't, Mark. Yeah, I'm you sorry. did. Because nobody else was doing this at the time. You know, right. Hammer, putting boobs on the film. Well, <laughs> you know, um, you, you I mean, were I have to, to fight you, you on that one. You, uh, Countess Dracula. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, tell me a more alluring figure than Ingrid Pitt on, uh, <sighs> you know, she's on, amazing. On yeah. I mean, but I but I don't I care nothing about the vampire show if I'm watching her on screen, you know, and, but, and on the Facebook sites when when they talk about the the movies, mm-hmm. it's no talk. It's always just a picture of a, of a sheer you know nightgown, you know, being able to see through. Uh, yes, well, I mean, okay, yes. There there's still the scary side of it, it's, but it's not, it had to be the titillation that also worked. Partly, partly. You 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 can you have to imagine just how much American not and British and American culture were in uh, almost still a Puritan Victorian straight laced yeah you know straight jacket at that at, at this point and you know other countries other uh, other places there were you know we always tend to look through the lens of English speaking films and saying this was what was happening. But you could go to other areas like South America, Malaysia. They were doing vampire stories in the 50s, which were incredibly lurid, which had a lot of nudity, had a lot, you know, was really mixing their 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 Catholic guilt and Catholic eroticism, you know, uh, way, you know, while we were still doing, you know, 1950s Happy Days type of versions of, of things. So Hammer comes along. And it's a British operation. And it's not just the sexuality, it's the sheer luridness of the uh, of it. You know, the fact that they were throwing blood on everything. They were driving stakes with conviction in Hammer Horror films, which you'd never seen before. <laughs> you know, uh, blood was gushing everywhere. This is why the scene in the Mel Brooks film is so funny, you know, is that he's taking that, you know, blood gushing stuff and taking it to the most ridiculous of extremes. So this is coming along at a time when, you know, it, it really need to be pushed. You know, we, we, you're not going to get the entertainment of your youth if it's not for Hammer. You know, so if you don't like Hammer, that's fine, but you damn well better appreciate it. Because you ain't going to get 
you know, John Carpenter without Hammer. John Carpenter will tell you the most important influence on him growing up was Hammer. You know, and and if you ask John Carpenter, who's your favorite Dracula? He's going to tell you Christopher Lee. Because that's the, the, the Dracula of his youth. That's who he grew up with. And that's the one that had the strongest impact on him. So Hammer is going to set this next generation going, you know, that's going to do horror in the 70s and 80s. And that's why it is, it, it's, it's important, you know. And when I say you had to be there, it's because when a Hammer film showed up, it was like nothing else we were seeing on television or in the movies up to that point. Oh, and, and it, it yeah, still is for me. So yeah, <laughs> I watch it. Yeah. It still is. It still is for me. Like yeah. I like what mm-hmm. is going on here? <laughs> I will say, I will say that I love Carpenter's Vampires. Yeah. Um, I oh, loved yeah. it. <laughs> absolutely oh, yeah. loved it. You know that um, coming out very close to From Dust Till Dawn. Gives yeah, you a great double bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just yeah. gives you a terrific double bill of, of vampire movies. And think of the amount of sunlight in those two movies. <laughs> yes, you know you both of those are take place in sun drenched, you know, atmospheres. You know, right. where vampires are not supposed to be. Right, right, yeah. Um, and I still think you know I know that Matheson was not satisfied with any of the film adaptations to his book. Oh, and <laughs> and and I loved seeing the old uh, interviews with him where he you know, kind of dresses down those. But I mean, because of those movies, I could never understand what the heck the title I Am Legend meant because they completely, you know, subverted it. They lost his point. And, uh, and it wasn't until reading the book and then looking at some more commentaries about it that i finally you know picked it all up but i think um you know with matheson's work just points out what we can struggle with if if people don't like a dracula adaptation granted mark you'd said nothing is faithful to the book um 100 percent and uh but I, i think that it's all worth examining talking about um, I love that we're doing this and we can kind of put this out as a Halloween episode and yeah, that we've talked about Dracula in this fashion. Um, I think we need to, <laughs> the next time we get together, we're going to examine two hammer horror films uh, and then talk about those maybe. Yeah, that sounds perfect. All right with me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if my wife walks in. I'm not sure I'll be able to, though. So, yeah, what are you I'll, watching? I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with one idea on Dracula. You know, because <laughs> this is the last and the most recent Dracula. You know, if I said to you, Sherlock Holmes, have you got a vision in your head? You kind of got an idea of what who, who we're talking about. If I showed you a picture of a guy in a deerstalker hat with a bent pipe and wearing an Inverness cape, you get a pretty good idea of who I'm talking about. You know, if I said Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, you said, and this reason is because these characters come out of the books of Victoria, of, you know, Victorian literature on the fogbound streets of London. And they've always been played sort of the same, you know, is there's a general sameness to the people who have played them and how they've played them now they've interpreted them dracula never looks the same dracula 
you think of the ones we've just been talking about. They don't look anything alike. Start with Nosferatu. Start with the vampire Nosferatu. All right, now go forward nine years and you've got Lugosi. They don't look anything alike. And then the next Dracula is John Carradine, who does not look like Lugosi. And the next Dracula is Christopher Lee. And the next Dracula, Jack Balance, Louis Jordan, Frank Langella, Gary Oldman. Then we can work our way all the way to, to Klaus Bang. And they don't look anything alike. This is how radically we reinterpret Dracula every time. This is how we, we, we don't even allow him to look the same. And Dracula's a shapeshifter. He's a shapeshifter in the book, but he's a shapeshifter in the pop culture. And he does not ever, we can't recognize him. Unless you say, if, if, if I showed you a picture of Lugosi and then showed you a picture of Klaus Bang and say, you know, are they playing the same character? Are these the same guys playing the same? It takes the top of your head off how different they are. You know, and that's because they always come out of whatever the culture is at the time and how they're shaped by that. By that. But anyway, it, you know, I may have just tipped what my next book will be, but... I, I I think he did possibly, mm-hmm. but it, it it I think it's one of the most interesting things about this character is is he never looks the same, and that not only doesn't he not look the same, he looks radically different. You know, I can so, dig it. I can dig it. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us to uh, talk about Dracula, somebody that we all do still like and want to and want to talk about and, and interpret buddy the same thank you so much for coming along for the ride and uh maybe we'll again still get you into a Kolchak episode where it's not a special so it doesn't have to be christmas or it doesn't have to be halloween and uh what, what was the one we wanted to do with with chopper. yeah you, you, you have chopper. me penciled in for chopper yeah let's do it well if, if we ever actually get back to recording actual Kolchak shows <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. bring you in for chopper which by the way i have seen in its entirety and i actually like now believe it or not that's as good much, you as said you much, hated it oh, last we talked you hated it completely it is it's just it just seems so farcical and uh but yeah no i've seen the whole thing and i'm like oh well that all kind of makes sense have I any of you that. seen the film demons no is it is I it an have. 80s film it's an 80s Italian film where basically the premise is it's in a movie theater and everyone turns into demons. But I think there is a Kolchak reference in it because there is a portion of this film because it takes place in a movie theater. There's like a, a contest where you can win props from movies. And two of the props happen to be a sword and a motorcycle. Oh. And there is a scene where there's a guy riding around on the motorcycle chopping people up. Love it. So got to be, got to be a reference. It had hey, to be. Yeah, it has to be. Hey, Mark, before we get rolling out of here, putting you on the spot, uh, everybody's clamoring for the Cole Shack, uh, the new Cole Shack reprint. Do you got any, any word? I know, I know you've been uh, nary, a, nary a wink of sleep probably for working on poe but do you have a timetable when that might be yeah i mean you know it's all because of you know right now the target date is september of 23 
Okay. And the reason it's September 23 is, is that we wanted to do it this year. You know, we obviously wanted to do it in the 50th anniversary year. Um, but uh, Poe took precedence. Um, you know, work on Poe was, was very intensive. And contractually, Poe had to go first. And Poe's going to be published in February. Valentine's Day, uh, the Poe book gets published. Um, so you, by contract, you cannot have competing books out at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. you, when you sign a publishing contract, it says, I'm not going to put out another book that's going to compete with this. Well, you can't have Poe and Kolshak out at the same time and not say that they are in some way competing because you have two, you know, things which would appeal to the same audience. So a, you have to wait a decent amount of time to do a similar type of book. So we're going to wait a few months. So it's September. And it also gives us enough time to do it correctly because I talked to the publisher and we both agreed there is no sense in rushing it and not doing it right just to get it out in the year that's going to be the 50th anniversary. I I think anniversaries are a little specious anyway. You know, everybody like, well, it's the 50th, you know, really? You mean you're not going to be a fan when it's the 51st? (laughs) You know, all of a sudden you're not interested anymore? You know, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to insist we put on the cover 51st anniversary edition. (laughs) Oh, you know, I've already said it here tonight. I really want to see that on the cover because why wouldn't we celebrate the 51st every much as we would celebrate the 50th? You marketing, know, marketing. Yeah, it is all right. It's exactly yeah. marketing. We like those nice round figures. So anyway, um, the the plan is the goal is September of uh, of twenty three, and I think we'll I think we'll do that. You know, it's not written in stone, and we're going to do everything we we can in our power to make it uh, to make that. But that's the that's the target right now. Yeah, and if you follow us at Colshack's Loop on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, we're not as active on there, but we will be sure to, uh, I'm sure Buddy will too, share any time that Mark, I think you had a special publishing deal with uh, a certain percentage off with the Poe book that you shared. Yes. Uh, that, that the publisher yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. shared that on the website and, if, and it was only a couple of days. So if you were able to go through Twitter and order it, then you got to, you know, was it 20% off? Yeah. Yeah. It was only like a, th- a three day deal that uh, they were, Barnes and Noble was offering. Yeah. So and I mean, if you ordered if you, it from, from, you know, during that three days as a pre-order, it would, you know, I don't know how, how, how much that gets people uh, doing it. Cause I think they want to order it when they can get a physical book. Yes. You know, that's oh, yeah. when, you know I, I think that's always going to be the case, you know, but, but, but if you, but if you keep it on the, on the sites, we, we will be sure to update you as soon as uh, you can get your hands on any of Mark's books. And uh, you know, buddy, we talked about your podcast. What podcast do you have coming up now? I know we've talked about some that you've just released. What what else you got coming up in October that you're uh, looking forward to? Um, well, some of the ones that we've done this year already. Um, we talked about the Friday the Thirteenth ranking, putting them all in order um, from worst to first. Um, our Halloween ends one is going to be debuting on Monday. Um, our in depth discussion about that. Um, I'm doing, at the end of the month, I'm doing the top 10 video games that sparked my horror interest at a young age. Um, Just like creepy stuff and like kids games that you don't realize have like a lasting impact on you. Um, All kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm doing 31 this year and I've done, been doing this for like three or four years now. So there's a couple hundred episodes total um, of everything I've done, not just the October stuff. So there's all kinds of stuff for 
the horror fan. There's all kinds of things on niche horror, mainstream horror, all kinds of good stuff. Mark's been on an episode. Bradley, you've been on an episode as well. Um, Robert, I got to get you on there soon. I think that'd be a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that I'm doing all the time. So, well, thanks sounds, about wrapping Sounds up. awesome. Take us home, Robert. Are you going? Do you want me to play us out a little bit? Oh, good lord, people! This is what I put up with. Generational gap that's painful. Um, uh, guys, thanks for joining the loop. Uh, next time you'll see us, we'll still be here. What? I don't know. I just thought I'd play it lame that way. No, thanks again, guys. We really appreciate you doing it. Uh, just for housekeeping, um, Bradley and I will stay on a little bit and just talk a little bit afterwards. So when, when you guys feel comfortable to, to hit your exit, you know, let it happen organically, you know, or, or just do it now. <laughs> hey, Either hey, way. No, but but thanks, all, guys. In all seriousness, yeah, seriousness, I, I really enjoyed it. Man, I really enjoy having Mark and Buddy on together and, it was, it was good I, I needed this i mean i haven't podcasted a little bit wait i don't know if you could uh if you could tell from the from the coal shack feed we haven't put one out in a, in a little bit we only have like seven in the bank yeah i still got one from january from mark and rich i still gotta put out i, I think i'm gonna try to get that out by rich's birthday november 4th so I don't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> what's, like, well, what's that? See, I remember talking with. Oh, I remember him being with the two of us. Like, what, what, what was the topics? Well, I'm going to find out when I ask. <laughs> there's, 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 <laughs> never, there's never really a topic with Bradley. I mean, dude, it's, it may be comics. Uh, a little bit of Kolchak sprinkled in. Uh, oh, chances Peaks. are, chances are there'll be a Scooby Doo reference. Hey, okay, um, okay, real quick, real quick. Twin oh Peaks. No. no, no, no. I went to Graceland and they had 30th anniversary Twin Peaks shirts they were selling at Graceland. What? I know. <laughs> That's like the, the oddest the thing con, ever. The, had, had Twin Peaks, like the like uh-huh. the show, Twin Peaks. Yeah. They had sweatshirts for the 30th anniversary. I'm trying to think of a con- of a connection here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tried to, did they use any Elvis in the soundtrack? Did they... I can't, I can't think of anything. I don't think it's the only musical connections, Bowie. I know um, it was weird, no, because me and my wife hmm. we were going through Graceland. It's been forever since I went, and literally they had like you'd see like Elvis on everything, and then they had like a rack of just 30th anniversary Twin Peaks. Like, did Did McLaughlin ever do an Elvis? I don't know what the connection was. I, I really I don't know. picture him possibly doing that, but almost I, I want to be like a dead Elvis. I don't know. Cool. No, I, I, I've got no idea. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't either. So for answers to these questions and more, tune in next time on Cole Shack's Loop. <laughs>